This episode is brought to you by the Plant-Centered Retreat, a four-day, three-night, 100% plant-based retreat located in Durham, North Carolina. Katie and I are your hosts. There will be educational workshops, massages, yoga, tons of plant-based deliciousness, of course, and my personal favorite connection with like-minded women. We can only host 10 women and there are three spots left. If you'd like to join us or want to learn more, check out the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kitchens. I'm a plant-based registered dietitian and virtual nutrition mentor. I was raised on an Angus cattle farm, grew up with a lot of GI issues, and used the power of plant-based eating to promote healing. Here, you'll find inspiration, ideas, and encouragement for your own plant-based journey. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Ashley, and today we're talking about diabetes. But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you so much for being here and that you are appreciated maybe more than you know, at least from us over here at the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. So thank you. Today, like I said, we're talking about diabetes. And before Kim and I end up getting into our interview, she shares her personal story about going plant-based. It's actually a story I had never heard before, which I found very, very fascinating. So we talk about that first, and then we really get into diabetes. What's the difference between type one diabetes, type two diabetes? What are some things to focus on? If you're diagnosed with type two diabetes, what are some symptoms to look out for? I really appreciate Kim's approach. And I really appreciated this interview because she explained things so clearly and concisely. I feel like it was just really easy to understand. And I love that about Kim. So Kim Rose is a Florida based registered dietitian nutritionist with a focus on health and wellness concerns for underserved populations. Her inclusive approach and philosophy revolve around making nutrition easy and attainable by addressing common and complex food and wellness topics for the general public and health professionals alike. Kim has a decade of professional experience and dedicates her time counseling clients in her private practice. In her spare time, Kim enjoys nature watching, self-care, and empowering the general public to take charge of their health. All right, y'all get ready for just such a beautiful, transparent, thorough interview with Kim Rose. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you so much, Ashley. I'm I'm happy to be here. I must admit, I'm kind of nervous, but <laughs> I think me being nervous is going to make the show even more interesting. Yes, I could not agree more. <laughs> Nerves are always like, I feel like a part of the process. So yep. <laughs> for sure. Well, Kim, will you kick us off by just telling the listeners, you know, where you're from, what you do, and just give us a little spiel on, on all things you. Sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Kim, Kim Rose. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, a certified diabetes care and education specialist, and a certified nutrition support clinician. So basically what all of that means in a nutshell is um, I have gotten training to understand how food works in the body as it relates to specific disease conditions, such as prediabetes and diabetes And also when it comes to vitamins and minerals and how they interact in the body, I would say that that is a spot that is near and dear to me. So I'm located in South Central Florida, where it is hot, very hot at this time, (laughs) but I'm originally from Jamaica. So if you hear like a slight 
accent every now and then. That is my Jamaican accent that you are hearing. I've been a dietitian for over 10 years. Um, I used to work in the clinical setting as a clinical nutrition manager, but January of this year, as I was sharing with Ashley off air, Mm -hmm. I left that and I'm full-time in my own practice. So, you know, one of the reasons I decided to leave is because I realized in the hospital setting, I was unable to spend quality time with my patients and following up with them on, you know, how their health is going. And I wanted to make a difference. So there was this physician in my community who said, oh, Kim, you know, there's a lot of people that have diabetes in the community. What are you going to do about it? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I going to do about it? Like, you're the doctor, you know, (laughs) then I realized that uh, he understood because he's a gastroenterologist, he could not touch the nutrition aspect which I definitely give him kudos to that. He realized that the dietitian is the one who is licensed and educated to handle food and nutrition related issues. So because of that, I decided to get my certifications and make the leap to leave the hospital and no regrets. Yay! No regrets. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And it's so refreshing to hear that a doctor was supportive of you really taking the lead in your community to help people with diabetes, prediabetes kind of work, mm. work through that. I think that's, that's pretty incredible. It is. And I was so surprised because the other doctors that I've interacted with, you know, they were thinking to themselves like, Hey, oh no, we can handle this. We could tell people to get on X, Y, Z diet. But I, I think he really realized like, no, no, I'm not touching that. That is not my scope of practice. So yeah. I really appreciate that from him. Like you find, you don't find much doctors that actually do that. Yeah. In my experience. Yes. No, absolutely. In my experience as well. So I can definitely relate to that. So Kim, I know that you are plant-based and I would love for you before we get into all the weeds about pre-diabetes, type two diabetes, just give us a little spiel on why, why you're plant-based or what led you to becoming plant-based in the beginning. All right. So you guys are ready. (laughs) So, so funny. I don't, I don't share this story often. And I really don't know why I don't share this story often. I, I guess it's because it's quite personal. It's quite sensitive for me. But let's see, how many years ago was this? I had to be 18, 19, and now I'm 36. So you guys do the math. Wow. Um, I didn't know it had been that long. So you were yeah. plant-based before becoming a dietitian. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, okay. I can't wait to hear this. Yes. <laughs> so I've been uh, adhering to a plant-based diet for the past 14 years. But when I was 18, 19, I was actually, let's back up a bit. When I was in high school, I went, my mom decided to take me to her gynecologist because I had really bad menstrual cycles. So the gynecologist gave me these horse pill of pain medications and she would write ongoing notes for me to, you know, come out of this class if I'm in pain or skip school altogether if I'm in pain. Because at the time, the high school that I was going to was saying, well, you know, Kim, you can't be missing these classes like every month because I was in a medical magnet program. So I said to myself, okay, after the pills were done, Uh, she refused to refill my prescription because she said, Kim, I don't want you to get any uh, dependency on these medications. So I said, you know what? I 
definitely understand it's a serious issue, especially me being a student athlete and just being aware of, you know, the DARE program in school. Like, oh my gosh, like if you break your leg and your doctor gives you this medication, there is a possibility you're going to rely on the medication. So I said, let me go ahead and do this cold turkey. OMG, talking about pain. My menstrual cycles were to the point where I was vomiting about 10 times a day for the first two days. I couldn't walk. I couldn't eat. It would, the pain was so intense that it woke me up out of my sleep. So when I finally made it to college, I said to myself, you know, I can't be missing these classes. Like they're not going to accept the doctors. No, like, oh, she, her menstrual cycle, they're not going to accept that. So I just decided, you know what, Kim, you have to find a way in order to soothe what is going on in your reproductive tract. So I said, well, the only thing that I can control at this time is my exercise and my diet. I was already a student athlete. So the exercise piece, that was a given. So I said, let me start changing up my diets and including more plant-based foods. And during that time, 18, 19 years old, like 2003, 2004, the food was horrible. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. Yeah. So I had to rely on making beans, making nut meatballs from scratch, doing just like a lot of plant-based items. And at that time I was still eating fish and I was still eating eggs. So I gave myself a month. And then when my cycle came, I noticed that it was better, but it's still, I was still in pain. I wasn't on like a 10, but maybe I was like a seven. So I said, no, I need this pain to go down. Let me go ahead and take the eggs out my diet taking the eggs out the diet brought the pain down to a six. Then I said, let me go ahead and take the fish out my diet. Taking the fish out my diet brought my pain down to a five. And then I said, okay, I'm hearing all of these things about like these meat analogs. Let me try the meat analogs, which tasted horrible. So I said, oh no, we're, we're definitely not going to do that. So little by little, just making my own bean burgers and, you know, focusing on the greens and focusing on certain high nutrient produce, which in my culture, we have something called kalalu, which is the leaves of the amaranth if I'm saying that correctly, leaves of the amaranth plant, just cooking those down. And my cycles became much more sustainable to the point where I was able to walk. I stopped vomiting. I was still uncomfortable, but I was able to go to class. So I realized for me, transitioning my diet definitely did help my menstrual cycle. And I have never looked back. (laughs) Wow. That is Amazing. What a testament to the power of plants, food, all the above. I mean, that is so incredible. So, I mean, do you mind me asking like how things are now with your menstrual cycle? Sure. So let's see. So with my menstrual cycle, it depends. It depends if I'm getting adequate rest, how Mm. stressed I am, if I'm exercising and how nutrient dense I make my meals. So I have found out with my cycle, my reproductive organs, they do not like soy. So no tofu for me, which was really hurtful. I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) But they have something called pumfu, which is like the same texture, but just made from pumpkin seeds. It's new. I found out about it like last month. My grandma was like, hey, Kim, I know you don't do soy. Like, come visit me and I show you what I found. She went to like sprouts and found pumfu and it looks just like tofu. But the only ingredient on the box is because you know, like how tofu has like um, soybeans and then like calcium carbonate. The only Mm -hmm. ingredient on the box is 
pumpkin seeds. That's it. And it's like the same texture, everything. What? Yes. It's so good. Oh my gosh. And it doesn't have like, you'll think it has like a funny aftertaste. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. It's just like tofu. It's so great. But anyway, I digress. Okay. Um, But my cycles are much, much better now. I think I have found a really good balance in focusing on um, making my own meals, not really relying on a lot of the meat analogs because I realized Mm -hmm. my body rejects them um, and getting my exercise and managing my stress and sleep. Yeah. Wow. That's so, oh my gosh. I mean, that's so incredible. And what a cool story too. And if you're listening to this and you are are curious about this topic, we'll link another episode that we did with Corinne who talks about basically using food and a bunch of other things to help your cycle, especially if you struggle with things like Kim just mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, to make it more manageable, to make it more sustainable because we got a long road ahead of us with our cycles for those of us who have them. So we can try and make them as tolerable as possible. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Kim, thank you so much for just being really transparent and sharing that story. Cause I know a lot of people can relate to that. Oh, my pleasure. And you know, I don't know why I even kind of hesitate to share that story. I guess it's because I'm not used to hey, talking about my uterus and right. you know, things of that nature, but I, I really went through an extremely hard time to the point where like at one point I had to, I had to be rushed to the ER because of it. Wow. Just the vomiting and the amount of blood that I was losing. So I definitely want to encourage people to experiment with increasing the plants in their diet. Something that I do all the time. I, I don't know. It's like a texture thing for me. I'm not a fan of solids. So what I do, I, I blend it. Yeah. It's so strange. It's so strange. But I'm I'm just used to it because I'm like, I need the greens. My body loves it. Mm. I'm gonna blend this. Yeah, great. It'll sound easier. It is. It's kind of a nice way to get just a bunch of packed, like different fruits and vegetables into one big glass that you can just yeah. drink. Yeah, and make yeah. it into a smoothie, make it fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right, Kim. So let's talk about your area of expertise. Well, you have many of them, but diabetes specifically, can you start by just explaining briefly, like what the difference is between type one diabetes and type two diabetes? Because in our conversation, we're going to be speaking Mm -hmm. mostly about type two diabetes, but I want to make sure the listener knows in case they're not familiar with what the difference is between the two. Sure. So back in the day, Uh, When I say like back in the day, I mean like when, like in the 2000s, probably in the 90s, uh, type 1 diabetes used to be called uh, juvenile diabetes and type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes. Now those terms are not utilized because they're finding that there's a lot of overlap. I recently went to a conference for the American Diabetes Association a couple of days ago, and they were just showing how um, you can get type 1 diabetes at any age. You can get type 2 diabetes at any age. Even some literature I was looking at was saying that individuals as young as six can get type 2 diabetes. My wow. nieces who were at the time, I think they were 10 and six, they were in the pre-diabetic um, range for getting type 2 diabetes. So type 1 diabetes it is insulin dependent diabetes. So we all have an organ in our body by the name of the pancreas and the pancreas does many things, but one of the role of the pancreas is to produce a hormone by the name of insulin. So insulin is like the lock that unlocks our cells to accept glucose, AKA sugar into the cell to be utilized for energy. So in type one diabetes, the pancreas makes 
very, very little to no insulin at all. Type 2 diabetes, on the other hand, is an impairment in the way in which the body really regulates or uses glucose or sugar. So their pancreas is producing some insulin, but for some reason, it's not unlocking the cell and the cell is not able to utilize it for uh, energy. So individuals that do have type two diabetes can cause their pancreas to get tired because it's trying to like, okay, I'm sensing that there's so much uh, sugar into the bloodstream. I'm producing insulin but I'm tired. I just need a break. I just need a break. And individuals with type two diabetes can be put on exogenous or outside sources of insulin in order to help their body to utilize the sugar that they're eating. So type one diabetes, you need to be on exogenous insulin, excuse me, type one diabetes, you do need to be on exogenous insulin and type two diabetes. It really depends on your diet, your lifestyle, some oral medications, and if need be, you do need to be on insulin as well. So something that I do want to say here is because just from speaking with a lot of my own personal clients, people think that medications and insulin are a, and I'm throwing up air quotes, bad thing. Mm. But a lot of the times it's not a bad thing because we have to remember, number one, the power of science, look where it has gotten us. Number two, sometimes the body just needs a little help, especially when the body, the the pancreas starts getting tired. It needs a little help in order to do its job like it would if you didn't have a condition. Mm -hmm. So in long story short, that's type one, type two diabetes. That's helpful. And I think especially the medication piece that you mentioned, that there's no shame in going on medication or needing medication or even utilizing it, whether it's for a long period of time or for a short period of time, like it's there for a reason. And like you said, it can be really beneficial if that's what you and maybe your care provider team decide is the best choice for you. Correct. I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah. So what are some, so like I said, we're going to be talking about type two diabetes throughout the rest of this conversation. That's Kim's Mm -hmm. area of expertise. What are some maybe common symptoms that your clients have, or what are some common symptoms of type two diabetes? Sure. So some common symptoms include blurry vision. And the reason why that is a common symptom is because the nerves that innervate the eyes, they're very, very tiny. So when there's a lot of sugar in your blood, your blood becomes very thick, it becomes very sticky, and it really prevents blood flow into these small and tiny um, nerve outlets. So that causes your vision to be blurry. Another symptom is people have told me that they've experienced cotton mouth, which the medical term is uh, polydipsia. So you have excessive thirst. And the reason for that, I mean, the body is just awesome. It's an awesome creation. Uh, and the reason for that is because when you're, you have too much sugar in your blood, your body tries to dilute it and tries to have you urinate it out. So it causes you to drink a lot of water in order to dilute your blood. And another thing is polyurea, which, which means that you are urinating a lot because your body's trying to get rid of that urine, that sugar through your urine. Another one is weight loss. So I know individuals with type two diabetes 
maybe saying, hey, well, I'm gaining weight. Well, weight loss is a early symptom as well. And the reason for that is because even though you have all of this sugar in your bloodstream, your cells are not eating it. They're not utilizing it for energy. So because the cells are not utilizing it for energy, they're working on your fat stores. They're working on your um, glucose stores, your glycogen stores that you have in your muscles and your liver. So you are losing weight as well. Um, Another one is fatigue. Because again, you're not eating anything, your cells, well, you are eating, but your cells are not eating and they're not utilizing it for energy. So there is fatigue. That that is really the early signs and symptoms of of type two diabetes. Yeah. And I've definitely, I've heard, you know, obviously there's no like one size fits all with symptoms. So I think that's great that you kind of listed a variety because it's going to look different for everybody. Yeah. 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 It definitely does. So how is type two diabetes diagnosed or maybe not even, you can talk about that, but even pre-diabetes, like how does one know if they're kind of approaching either pre-diabetes or type two diabetes? Sure. So I, I'll actually use my, my nieces as an example with the pre-diabetes, and then I'll talk about the type two diabetes. So with pre-diabetes, it is really, it's really silent. Some Mm -hmm. individuals may not have any signs and symptoms whatsoever, but when you go in for your annual checkup, I always like to encourage people to get an A1C test. So the A1C test is um, the long version of it is the hemoglobin A1C. It basically looks at how much sugar your red blood cells held onto for a period of 60 to 90 days. So the red blood cells do hold on to sugar and the red blood cells live for about 120 days. So your red blood cells can see like, Hey, are you holding on to more sugar than, than is the standard or are you holding on to um, the standard amount? So with my nieces, when they were diagnosed, because of course, a lot of candy, a lot of candy consumption going on. I remember when I was a kid, I had a candy addiction. And then my doctor was like, no, (laughs) but um, yeah, the hemoglobin A1C is a diagnostic tool. It's a diagnostic tool for pre-diabetes as well as type two diabetes. Another diagnostic tool is the fasting plasma glucose test. So basically, um, when you get your routine blood work, your doctor may say to you, hey, fast for eight hours, and then we'll take your blood. So if you have a number of 126 or above at two separate occasions, then that is means for a diagnosis as well of type 2 diabetes. If your number is greater than 100, if I'm remembering correctly, then that is pre-diabetes. So with the diagnoses, it can only be done by a medical provider. So if you're at home and you take like a blood finger prick test just to test what your number is, that is not a diagnostic test. Only your doctor can do the accurate diagnostic test to determine if you have pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes. So if you take that, just the, like the finger prick test at home, it can be pretty variable, right? Depending on what you eat or when you do it after or before you eat. Exactly. And it's also variable on the device as well, because there's always Mm. like margins of error. So some devices are sensitive, some are not really sensitive. And as you said, it can vary on when you eat, when you worked out, what type of workout did you do? Did you do a high intensity workout? Did you do a nice slow paced steady cardio workout? Are you stressed out? Did you get enough sleep? So it really all depends. So I know a lot of doctors do like to use the A1C as like a quick and dirty but there are also more uh, accurate tests 
besides the A1C, I think there's a fructosamine, which sometimes it's given to pregnant women that do have like type one diabetes to see really how tightly controlled you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the A1C, I would say is the most common, but yeah, there's, there's some margins of error uh, there as well, because individuals that do have sickle cell may tend to get a higher A1C that may not be accurate also. So your doctor definitely is the one to diagnose that because they understand like your personal medical history, what you're dealing with, uh, so forth and so on. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I I always tell people, I always get these DMs too, like, Hey, I took my, my finger prick. It's 134. Do I have diabetes? I cannot diagnose you with that. (laughs) Only a doctor can. So I definitely encourage everyone when you get your physicals every year, just check your A1C, see where it is. Yeah. Are doctors usually pretty receptive to that if you ask for it, or is it pretty commonly drawn? It is not commonly drawn. In my experience, it is not commonly drawn, Um, especially if you do not have a history of diabetes in your family. It is not commonly drawn, but definitely make a point of asking for it because of the panini we're living in. I don't want to say the pandemic word, but I just Mm. said it. (laughs) But the panini that we're living in, I'm finding that a lot of individuals that didn't have diabetes are coming down with it, pre-diabetes, type 2 diabetes. So as a best practice, always ask ask for a A1C. Okay. All right. That's good to know. So Kim, historically, historically, mm-hmm. we thought that sugar was like the number one culprit, you know, nothing else mattered. If you ate a lot of sugar, if you ate a lot of bread or pasta, you liked fruit, you were sort of like inevitably going to have type two diabetes, or if you were diagnosed with type two diabetes, that was the reason. And Kim, I worked in nursing homes for like eight years and mm-hmm patients, clients were still telling me, oh, I can't have bread or I I, I can't have pasta that's on the menu because of X, Y, Z, or I can't have fruit. And part of me that made me really sad, but anyways, so tell us, <sighs> tell us kind of what we know now, obviously there's, it's still part of the maybe concern, but tell us what we know now with how the research has maybe changed around that. Oh, you just, you just hit a, a spot with me. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> so it's so funny because I realized something when I told you I went to my conference last week, Mm. I realized, you know, how everyone talks about generational trauma. Yes. There is a generational trauma when it comes to food and nutrition, specifically when we speak about corn, we speak about bread, we speak about potatoes, we speak about fruit. Mm. Oh, there's a generational trauma that has been passed down that these foods are bad. When in actuality, there's no such thing as a, as a bad food, all foods can fit into a blood sugar friendly diet. As a matter of fact, I was looking at this research and this research, and I'll, I'll send you the the article so that you can put it in the show notes. This research showed that when individuals with type two diabetes actually increase their intake of fruits, because and fruits are demonized as well of fruits and then reduce their consumption. I think it was of um, more processed foods that this actually improved their overall blood sugars. So I, I think that there's a lot of generational trauma that is being passed down that this food is bad and that food is bad. But in actuality, if you are just aware of how many carbs are in a particular food item, even if it's hypothetically speaking, white bread, it can fit into your diet. Only thing you have to do because the white bread is missing fiber is, hey, have a salad, 
have some beans, replace that fiber, doctor it up. Because I'll be honest with you, there's like, even last night, I, after my workout, I wanted a sandwich and I didn't want wheat bread. I wanted white bread on my sandwich with my just egg and my tomato and, you know, my, my, my veggie mayo. And what I did, because I realized like, Hey, I need more fiber. I made a green smoothie to go with that. So it's really about being conscientious of your sources of fiber. Does this food have fiber in it? Yeah, this food may be starchy, but the fiber definitely does help to slow down the blood sugar spikes. So I really want us to unlearn that generational trauma because this is how dietitians are labeled as the food police and how it's still perpetuated in the 20th century, 21st century, to be honest with you. So yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with foods. You can enjoy the foods that you like. Yeah. Which is good to know because I think when people, when their doctor's telling them that they have prediabetes or type two diabetes, there's going to be this list of foods that they quote mm-hmm. can't have or should limit. And a lot of these foods, like you said, are foods that historically have been passed down as quote bad Mm -hmm. and they should be avoided when you have type two diabetes. But what's refreshing to hear from you is that really anything can fit. It's just a matter of sort of being mindful of your choices and being mindful of Mm -hmm. your fiber intake. And I'm sure a bunch of other different things. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you definitely hit the nail on the head right there by saying, you know, they, they're giving a list of foods of what not to eat, but no one ever says, what can you eat? Like Mm. last night, I, I got a DM from someone that's saying that, you know, she's out to prove her doctor wrong because the doctor said no white foods. And I'm just thinking all of a sudden, okay, what about like beans? What about onions and like cauliflower? I even remember one time in the hospital setting, someone said to me, yeah, I don't eat white foods. Trust me when I eat onions and garlic, my blood sugar spikes. And I'm like, there is no way. But they learned that from their doctor. So color, color has nothing to do with how the body is receptive to it. And I mean, these foods as well, when we, when we think about the foods in the plant kingdom, they're there for a reason. They grow naturally. It's not like, you know, you're putting it in a factory and you're grinding it to make something like these foods are naturally grown. They're naturally occurring. They have, they're full of antioxidants for a specific reason, because our body needs them and we need to consume them for optimal health. So yeah, it's really sad when, when doctors give incorrect nutrition advice, I I wish they'd stay in their lane. I know. (laughs) I know. I feel like slowly, but surely it's shifting. Like you mentioned with like the doctor in your community, but yes, there's still some work to be done. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe aside from fiber, what are some other like pillars or what are some other things that you discuss with your clients? Just maybe things that they could pay attention to, to help manage their blood sugars or help just make them feel better. Yes, definitely. So one of the other pillars that I really like my clients to focus on is their physical activity Mm -hmm. because lack of physical activity is a risk. It increases your risk for developing type two diabetes. So I know that the, um, Physical guidelines for Americans recommends that we get 150 minutes of physical activity in on a weekly basis. But to be honest with you, 150 minutes for someone that is doing zero is a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. So I say, you know, focus on where you can. So I have this client that I'm currently working with and oh my gosh, she, I, I, I keep asking her like, how are you getting all of these steps in? And she said, Kim, when I'm at work, I don't send emails anymore. I get up from my desk and I walk. 
Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, that is awesome. And then she says, when she comes back to her desk, she takes the long route. When she does her lunch break, she spends 15 15 minutes eating. And then the other 15 minutes, she walks around the parking lot. So it's just really about more movement. Another thing that I like to tell my clients is when you're cleaning, go ahead and dance. Dancing is a fun form of physical movement. And I know that term exercise may be very unattractive. So I say joyful movement. How are we Mm going to get in our joyful movement today? Or, you know, playing with the kids. Kids are excellent free weights that you can just pump when you're doing like like a mock bench press or something like that. So it's just really about finding what you like. I know something that I like to do is I like to go outside, especially seeing that it's warm right now and work in my garden. That is a form of movement. So I don't want people to think that movement is like running a marathon or a HIIT workout or weights, but it's really anything that your body's engaging in that is different from sitting. Um, So physical activity is the number one. The second thing that I like people to focus on is their sleep cycle. I was speaking with, um, there's an individual that presented at Fancy, the Food and Nutrition Conference Expo a couple of years ago. um, And she was a sleep researcher from Canada And she works for the Canadian Olympic team, Dr. Amy Bender. And she was speaking about how with sleep, if you're sleep deprived, individuals tend to take in excess calories and they also take in empty calories. So instead of focusing on nutrient rich food, because the body is tired, the body needs energy, the body instead focuses on a lot of sugary food, and it gives you cravings for that. So I remember asking her like, hey, for someone that, you know, may have, um, you know, insulin resistance, can sleep deprivation cause your blood sugars to be elevated? And she was like, Kim, absolutely, absolutely. And it's also like, it plays on the hormones as well. It causes Mm. the cortisol to be elevated and elevated cortisol causes your blood sugar to be elevated. So physical activity, sleep, and then also stress, learning how to manage our stress levels during the panini. So I like to tell individuals, if you can afford it, definitely invest in a counselor. I have found that my most successful clients that had me as a nutritionist and their mental health counselor, because we're not trained to deal with the mental aspect of things, were actually the most successful in reducing their A1C and keeping it reduced. Wow. So not only working with a nutritionist dietitian, but also having like a therapist or counselor or someone else to kind of cover that mental health side exactly. of things. Exactly. Mm. Yep. Wow. Wow. So it's, it's multifaceted. Yeah. Yep. It's funny. You, well, not funny, but you saying that reminds me of a client that I had who had type type two diabetes and he was able Mm -hmm. to reverse it. And he sought out all of those things. He worked with myself. He worked with a personal trainer and he also worked Mm -hmm. with a therapist. And I think the three of those combined just, it, it made, it was, it was such a greater impact than just a type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just went so far into so many parts of his life um, where it positively impacted him. So, which was really cool. Nice. Yeah. So speaking of, I'm curious to hear from you. And I know that you've worked with a lot of different clients. Can type two diabetes be reversed? Is that possible? The CDC came out with something. I think it was last year or the year before. And correct me if I'm wrong. 
when I say correct me if I'm wrong, I'm talking to the audience, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that pre-diabetes can be reversed. I don't like the term reversed. Let me tell you Mm. why. Yeah, tell me. I use the word remission instead. Ah. The reason for that, and again, I'm getting like a lot of messages like, Kim, can you help me reverse my diabetes? So with reversed, I think people have the perception that it goes away and there's mm-hmm. not a chance for it to come back. Like it, it's as if it never was. But if you go back to your old habits, and that's why I say I don't do diets, I do lifestyle. If you go back to your old habits, then this thing can come come back with a vengeance. Yeah. So that's why I say instead it goes into remission. There is no, just like how if someone has cancer and they go through cancer treatment and they do the tests, there's no cancerous cells in the body. It goes into remission, but they continue to follow up with their oncologist every six months or every year, whatever the uh, protocol is. It should be the same way when it comes to pre uh, type two diabetes as well as pre diabetes, um, because you may have some type of um, event, or you may have relapsed on your eating style that can cause your blood sugars to be elevated again and cause your A1C and your fasting blood sugars to be elevated. Elevated. So I say, yes, it can go into remission. I was even working with a type one, one time that his A1C showed that like he didn't even have diabetes. I mean, he's a type one Wow. And his doctor, yeah, his doctor was like, look, I don't know what you're doing, but continue to do it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, but definitely remission. Okay. Definitely remission. I like that because I think, like you said, when you say reverse, it's like, okay, good. I'm, you know, I'm good to go. I can kind of go do what I want to do mm-hmm. or go back to like my old lifestyle. But like you said, it can kind of, it can come back with a vengeance. So thinking about in remission and kind of keeping in mind that I still need to keep up this lifestyle that sort of led me to maybe lowering my A1C to where maybe I wasn't, didn't have the diagnosis of type two diabetes. Correct. Yeah. Is there anything else that you work on with clients? We talked about stress, sleep, movement, fiber. Is there anything else that you, I know you touch on a lot, but anything else that you work on with clients that you feel like is important to mention? Yes. I I work on them with their mindset a lot. Mm -hmm. Mindset is so important. And, you know, to be honest with you, sometimes I think I need to go back to school and be, get some mental health training, but I realize with the mindset, you know, I still have individuals tell me, well, you know, I'm, this food is bad, or I want this thing to go away by next week, not realizing that this thing took time to come and then passing on that generational trauma. What do you mean bad? And even how they refer to themselves, such as I am diabetic. just really reversing their perceptions of it, realizing that this is a condition that can be controlled. You can have an awesome quality of life. It does not have to control you. You are not diabetic. You are a person that happens to have diabetes and that it's not a bad thing. There's just, you know, in the society that we live, we're going into year number three, a very stressful moment, stressful time. So definitely be kind to yourself. Don't beat up on yourself. Love yourself a little extra. There's even individuals that I've worked with on the past that says, Kim, I need a break and I need a break from you for a week. And I need a break from monitoring my blood sugars for a week. And I'm like, okay, yes, that is called self-care by all means. <laughs> definitely go ahead and do it. And when you're ready, send me a text message, send me uh, an email. So definitely. It's not something that has to be overwhelming. It's not something that you have to be 
frustrated about, but take baby steps. Definitely learn how to be kind to yourself, learn how to give yourself time out and get a massage, get an extra hour of sleep, take that long bubble bath, take a sick day, quote unquote, (laughs) from work in order to focus on you, focus on your mental health, because it really, the battle all starts within the mind before you actually start doing things on the outside, such as eating more fiber, um, counting carbs, getting more physical activity. So it all starts in your mindset. So on my Instagram, I'd like to put up something every week that says better blood sugar mindset. And it just really is like an inspirational quote that enables you to think differently about, you know, what is going on in your body to say, okay, well, this is achievable. Let me start thinking of myself as like superwoman, girl, you got this, you know, hyping yourself up on a daily basis. So yeah, it's, it's really all in the mind. And so that's Mm -hmm. why I really encourage as well, mental health counselors, therapists, because they're able to work with that mindset. And um, before going into this niche, I never realized how important it was, you know, being in a hospital setting, you're like, okay, health is physical, but no health is mental health is spiritual. So definitely covering all those areas is important. Yeah. And that it sounds like just leads to an overall better quality of life for someone who has type two diabetes. Correct. Yeah, it is. Cause I mean, and that's, that's the whole goal with type two as well as type one or pre-diabetes gestational, just having an overall better quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your wisdom with us. <laughs> I really appreciate you and your area of expertise, and I'm sure your community appreciates you so, so greatly. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, uh, I need to reach out to Kim or connect with Kim, or maybe they're sending this podcast to someone who might want to reach out to you, where's the best place that they can do that? Sure. So the easiest place for you to find me is on Instagram. I am the dot blood sugar dot nutritionist. I'm also on TikTok, surprisingly. <gasps> what? Are you on TikTok? But we'll, we'll do that off air. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, on TikTok, I'm just simply blood sugar nutritionist. I'll, I'll give it to you for sure. Cause I just started this TikTok account. Oh, so that that's exciting. Put it in the show notes. Yes. We'll do that. Um, So yeah, Instagram would definitely be the easiest way to contact me, or you can go to my website, kimrosedietitian.com. Wonderful. And we'll include all those in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to connect with Kim, you can just easily click below and click the link and get on over there very quickly. So, well, Kim, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on here. Like I said, and just explaining to us about type two diabetes and what we can do. Just really appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me thank you so much for listening to the plant-centered and thriving podcast today if you found this episode inspiring please share it with a friend or post it on social media and tag me so i can personally say thank you until next time keep thriving